You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I am your host, Brad Roland, and uh, just before this uh, inevitably comes out uh, during the podcast, I am coming to you live from the Washington Ronald Reagan Airport in Washington, D.C., uh, so you'll probably hear some background noise in the form of announcements or uh, flight attendants kind of bringing things to our attention, but this is kind of what we have today. I'm set up in uh, set up in the airport for the next uh, four to five hours, and uh, frankly, if I waited till when I got home, uh, and there's the first announcement, if you can hear that in the background, but at the same time, if I waited till I got home, it'd be uh, after midnight, and that would be a much less entertaining podcast uh, for the people. So get that out of the way now, and it's just me on today's podcast. I had some grandiose plans, but they have been foiled by the fact that I am in this airport, so that's kind of the background, and today we'll still be able to talk to some Braves, have some user questions from you guys, and also some news to get to, so uh, stay tuned for that, and uh, let's get this thing going. Uh, the first and biggest item of the day is, of course, the news that the Braves the Braves hired Brian Snicker as the full-time manager. It's been about as long as possible uh, for that news since the last time we recorded. Uh, as predicted, it came out about a day later um, from the time that Scott Coleman and I talked last week. Um, but the news was uh, the expected one in my mind. Brian Snicker was the choice. He was always going to be the inside, uh, the inside guy in terms of the most likely candidate to get the job after the end of the season. And while uh, they, uh, the organization has certainly talked about the fact that they wanted to give other candidates a legitimate chance, I think Bud Black was certainly the runner-up by all counts. Um, I, I think for me, this, this did some, somewhat reek of the fact that Snicker was always going to be the guy unless they were just blown away. It was not a not a wide-open search was the... That's the feeling that I get. I could be wrong on that, but at the same time, that's kind of how it feels to me. I'm pretty much fine with Brian Snicker being the manager. I would have preferred Black or, frankly, another choice that was more analytically inclined and potentially an upgrade in terms of uh, in-game management and some uh, some sabermetric stuff, that, that stuff like that. But I'm not upset about it in, in any way. I think managers are generally overrated. That's something that Carlos Colazzo uh, former co-host of this podcast, still frequent guest of this podcast, uh, is a big proponent of, and I kind of agree with him on that one. I think managers are just kind of overrated in the fact that uh, for as much as I kind of railed on Freddie Gonzalez for his lineup construction stuff and some bullpen management issues, at the same time, you know, those things are only worth a win or two over the over the body of the entire full season. So I think Snicker can only do only do so much damage, and he was really a favorite in the in the locker room. The players went to bat for Snicker in a way that was certainly noteworthy. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, management kind of leaning on players for real feedback in this kind of thing. I think uh, taking a more taking a step back and taking a wider approach on the managerial hire is probably the way to go. But Snicker is a favorite. The players will be pleased, and they'll certainly be ready to play play hard for him 
uh, in his first year and hopefully beyond that. Uh, one note that I thought was quite interesting and something that I did not love was that Snicker was only given a one-year contract that also included a team option for 2018. A lot of people like this and that the Braves kind of have a parachute if this does not work Passenger, out. Uh, that is certainly true. There's no strategic disadvantage, uh, I would say. But if you're, for me, if you're going to hire the guy because you think he's the best candidate, quote unquote, then uh, for me, you, you have to give him a re- you have to give him a real contract. Uh, it's I think the baseline uh, is a, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of a three-year contract, but at least a two plus one, something like that, would have been uh, more in the realm of uh, a, a commitment to Snicker. Uh, it's funny. It's I almost sound like I'm contradicting myself in the fact that I didn't love the sticker higher. I think it may not go well, but um, I also didn't like the one-year contract. I, ju- I just think that uh, if the Braves were really sold on him in the way that they are talking about, then giving him a real contract would have been a nice way to install him as the manager. Right now, it sort of seems like he's basically just getting another year as the interim guy, and uh, he's not interim, you know, by by tag, by uh, job title. But it feels that way to me, and that he's still very much in the midst of a trial period. And I don't love that, um, given the fact that the Braves kind of did a search. It seems to me that they really did do a full search. And when Bud Black and Ron Washington are your two external candidates, it's not ideal. I think Black is a really you know, a nice manager. He's had some success in San Diego and was uh, once basically given the Washington Nationals job before the contract stuff kind of uh, gave away there. But I think uh, the fact that Snicker was really the inside track guy kind of is revelatory with, with when it comes to the search. And I just didn't love the way the Braves handled it. But he's the guy now. It's time to uh, sort of move on from the fact that he was the interim guy and is now hired. Uh, it's, and, and now we can kind of evaluate his actual performance on a baseline of a full-time manager. And I'll be very interested to see how the fan base shifts on Snicker. It's almost inevitable that managers um, sort of wear out their welcome. It, it, it kind of just, ma- it kind of just <laughs> matters how long that takes. Um, Freddie Gonzalez was once a fan favorite, and that certainly evaporated as the team uh, enjoyed less success. Um, much of that was not on Freddie's shoulders. For as much as I did not like Freddie Gonzalez uh, in terms of a strategic, you know, in-game manager, um, you know, there's only so much you can do with talent, and when talent does not perform, that's the same with Snicker. Uh, I, I've talked about the fact that the team performed better down the stretch, largely because they had a much better roster uh, with guys like Dansby Swanson in the mix. Guys like Eric Ibar and AJ Przinsky not on the roster anymore. Freddie Freeman uh, operating as an MVP candidate. Ender Enciarte being, you know, basically for the second half of the season, being an all-star level player, et cetera, et cetera. Those are things that Snicker had over Gonzalez in terms of advantages. And uh, I will definitely be keeping an eye on uh, Snicker's, uh, really his managerial performance more so than we did at the end of at the end of 2016 because, frankly, the Braves were out of it and it was much more about players and evaluation than it was about Snicker. So we'll see what that looks like. Also, in addition to Snicker, the Braves made a couple of uh, moves to, on his staff. Um, most notably, they uh, hired Chuck Hernandez as the team's pitching coach to replace Roger McDowell. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Hernandez's work, he started as the minor league pitching coordinator for the Braves last season. But prior to that, he had a few stints as a major league, as a major league pitching coach in a couple of other uh, locations around the league. He's very well regarded. Uh, the guys that I sort of trust around the team, uh, media guys who are plugged in, uh, are you know we're pretty high, we're pretty happy about this hire. I, at first, you think uh, at least for me, I think of a pure internal hire, something that I did not like. But Hernandez is not really an internal candidate. He did work for the Braves last year, but prior to that, he was not in the Braves organization. And he is—he does have experience as a, as a pitching coach and is sort of uh, has a good reputation with young pitchers, et cetera, et cetera. That's something the Braves, uh, I'm sure, 
wanted in the midst of uh, ousting Roger McDowell, who had a ton of success. But McDowell's uh, sort of his downside was with the young pitchers, and the Braves have a ton of those guys. So uh, Hernandez, a guy who they hired initially to work with minor leaguers, is going to be certainly focused on the minor leagues and the young pitchers in the major leagues because um, obviously his job is a major league pitching coach. But you're gonna, I think this year and for, for years to come, you're going to see guys being promoted in season or being promoted young because of all the talent in the system right now. I think you know even even this year he's going to have one or two guys, I would bet, at the start of the season that are very, very young, whether it's Mike Voltanevich or Matt Whistler or whoever else in the rotation. Uh, it's going to be young, maybe even Aaron Blair, Tyrell Jenkins, somebody like that. Um, they're going to be young, and hopefully Hernandez will have the tools to work with those guys in a successful manner. Uh, lastly, um, the Braves hired Ron Washington, former Texas Rangers manager, as the third base coach. Um, that actually kind of terrifies me, to be honest. Uh, I think I would hate it if that was seen as uh, as if Washington was the failsafe as manager for Brian Snicker. Again, because of the contract, I think if things don't go well, Snicker's going to be on the hot seat in a hurry. And uh, Washington has managerial experience on the bench. I, I have to imagine that's part of the reason why he was added to the staff. But uh, even with Washington being well-liked by players in Texas, I'd be remiss by not mentioning that he has some sketchy off-field stuff. You can kind of Google around and look for that. And uh, he's not really the best tactician in the world. He did, he did take the Rangers to the World Series, and that's kind of his claim to fame. But Washington kind of did that in spite of himself uh, in, a, in a way that many managers do. And not every manager that takes his team to the World Series is a good manager. I think you can go back and see a couple of names in that regard. And Washington's kind of one of those guys who I think is a below-average manager that happened to have a nice roster that got hot at the right time. So... Uh, hopefully he's not there to take over for Brian Snicker uh, and he's really just there for some experience and a guy that players like at third base uh, as a third base coach I should say and uh, hopefully uh, we might be talking about Ron Washington as this team's manager in you know 11 or 12 months from now. Uh, let's move on from that. I uh, also wanted to uh, break down a little bit of the Jim Johnson deal. We've talked about Jim Johnson signing a two-year contract with the Braves but this week the money came to light for that Johnson deal. Uh, he is going to get about $10 million total over the two years. That's a $5 million per season, obviously. Uh, just for a little bit of background, Johnson pitched more than 60 innings this year with an ERA in the low threes and uh, also struck out more than a batter per inning. He was pretty darn good this year. Uh, Johnson also has a track record in Baltimore where he was a lights-out closer. I think at 33 years old, that's probably behind him, but he did serve as a capable closer for this team, and I think he might be the guy on opening day next year. Even if Arroyo Viscaino is healthy, there's a chance that Snicker wants to lean on, on uh, Johnson in that role. But even if he's not in that role, I think you know five million dollars a year is nothing, nothing crazy at all about that. Johnson was worth more than one uh, win above replacement this year, and that if for five million dollars out of the bullpen, that's really kind of a bargain if he can replicate what he did last year. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about the fact that he can really like identically replicate it, but at the same time, I think Johnson can be an above-average reliever, and that was, that's just fine for $5 million a year. The second year kind of worries me, but uh, you know Johnson has a track record, and that's not something you can say about every single reliever. And in the end, I think the Braves don't want to go super young at every single spot in the bullpen, and he's really the only veteran uh, that's a pure guy from the organization last year. So the timing was very odd on that contract. I'll say that until the bitter end. But uh, Johnson was very good last year, and I don't hate that contract at all. A last thing before I get, we get to some mailbag questions, because I'm I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing my voice already. <laughs> um, Eddie, Eddie Perez, current uh, member of the Braves staff, is garnering interest from the Arizona Diamondbacks as manager. 
Uh, not a ton to get to on this, but I wanted to say, you know, there's a chance Perez is not on the staff, even though that he was announced as part of the staff under Snicker. There's a chance that either either Perez or Terry Pendleton could end up elsewhere in the next couple of weeks and months if they want to sort of look look for a better job elsewhere, considering that neither one of them got a real hard look, I don't think, at the Braves managerial job. They might want to escape in terms of that. And if Perez can obviously get an interview with the D-backs and a a chance to get that job, that would be good for Eddie. Um, He's sort of the one guy internally that I think has the profile from what uh, everything that I hear as a manager. I've not heard the same about Pendleton necessarily. Bo Porter was a manager previously at Houston, so he could obviously get a job at any point. But Perez is a guy who's, uh, you know, pretty pretty, pretty homegrown in terms of the Braves and could be looking to move on if uh, if the opportunity presents itself. And that's something we can keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks. With that, I want to get to a bunch of mailbag questions here. Um, So it's not just me on the podcast. The first one comes from Grant Gilcrease on Twitter. And he asks, where does Travis Demerit fit with the Braves' plans? Uh, Demerit was acquired midseason this year from the Rangers. He's 22 years old, his second baseman. Uh, this this week, Keith Law of ESPN actually said in a recent, uh, it was a chat this week that uh, Demerit is now, and I quote, an outstanding defensive second baseman, which is not really his reputation when he arrived. Which I, you know, it's something that's very very nice to have. Um, you know, it's it's still a minor league sample with with Demerit, but Keith Law is not a fool by any means. He's a very intelligent guy who knows these things well. And if Demerit is an is an outstanding defensive defensive second baseman, that he can. He can stick there, and if he can stick there, the bat is really kind of impressive in terms of profile. Um, he's 22 years old. As I mentioned before he had a WRC plus in the 140 range this year between Texas and Atlanta. Uh, he also hit 28 home runs in 123 games. Some of that was uh, driven by ballpark uh, during his time in Texas in the Texas organization, but the power is legit. And if you can have that kind of power at second base and really play at a high level defensively, that's a very very encouraging prospect and a guy who the Braves can potentially look at down the line, even though. Ozzy Albies is sort of the incumbent second baseman. We have a question about him later on the uh, podcast. I think uh, Demerit is certainly intriguing. And there's a chance, at least in my opinion, that he could be a guy that could try to flip the third base. Or, or if uh, a situation arises where Albies is traded or something like that, I think that's possible also. Then and Demerit could suddenly be, become the second baseman and waiting uh, in the organization. I think the uh, the big issue with Demerit is the strikeout rate. He has a strikeout rate north of 30% for the last couple of years. He's sort of a boomer bust guy at the plate. I think he's never going to hit for much average. Um, his plate discipline is going to have to improve as well. The strikeout rate can, is sustainable-ish if you hit a ton of home runs at that at that clip, but you have to walk as well to in order to do that, or else you're going to be looking at a situation where he's hitting 200, and that's going to be uh, kind of rough. Even even if he, even if he, even if he actually plays quality defense at the rate that Keith Law seems to suggest. Uh, sticking with second base, actually, we got another question from the Jackmeister on Twitter, an outstanding Twitter handle, by the way. Uh, what is the future of Jace Peterson with Ozzy Albies potentially slated for second base sometime in 2017? We talked a little bit about Jace last week on the podcast, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that with myself and Scott Coleman. But I do think uh, Peterson's future is pretty strongly uh, suited as a backup player in the majors, given his, given his athleticism and the, and the positional versatility that he brings to the table. We've seen him play effectively at a few different spots, and I think with more outfield training, he could become an effective outfielder. Jace is an outstanding athlete with all the tools that you want to be a good defender. Uh, he, at one point, was a very, very good defensive second baseman. This year, the numbers were not kind to him there, but I think he certainly can be that. Um, I don't think his bat plays enough, though 
to be a full time, to be a full time starter, at least an effective starter in the majors anywhere except for second base. Uh, and the problem there is, of course, that Ozzy Albies or even Travis Demerit is coming at second base. And I, I'm pretty sure the Braves think that they can do better than Peterson in the long term. Uh, they'll be they'll at least be a half you know a half dozen or so second basemen I would imagine next year in the majors who are worse than Jace Peterson. So I think he could certainly be a starter, and he might be the starter on opening day. That would not surprise me in the slightest, given Albie's injury stuff down the stretch and the fact that he's still so very young. Uh, the Braves could look to Peterson to kind of bridge the gap in April, April, May, and June to kind of give Albies a couple more months of seasoning, potentially get past the Super 2 deadline, even though they would never admit to that. That could be something that comes into play with this team, given that they probably are going to be a World Series contender. So Peterson could be the guy on opening day, and I think he's a good, valuable organizational piece. I just don't think he's a starter necessarily, even if he does begin the season as that next year at second base. Uh, next question comes from Kevin Lyon on Twitter. Uh, he asks, where in the world do the Braves get two veteran starting pitchers that are not just innings eaters given this free agent class? Uh, this is a great point from Kevin Lyon, one, one that we've been making on the podcast in a couple of ways. This is a very direct way to put it. Um, John Coppolella, of course, famously has said that the Braves want to get two starting pitchers this season. And the fact that he's kind of contradicted himself uh, a couple of times earlier in the year, Copy in the front office have kind of uh, scoffed at this year's free agent market and kind of the free agent market in general. Free agent starting pitching is generally incredibly overvalued in the fact that um, guys who reach free agency are normally not very good and the guys who are very good get you know mammoth contracts and uh, overpayment in free agency as a starting pitcher is really um, kind of rampant. We saw that a lot last year with some of the contracts that were handed out. I think we'll see it again this year. It's a very, very scarce lot. Um, for instance, here's a, some of the top names available. Yes, the top names available in free agency. Uh, Rich Hill, who's tremendous this year, but who's you know over 35 and has a ton of injury history and a ton of inconsistency history, is probably the top guy available. Uh, Andrew Kashner is available. Jeremy Hellickson, who was famously awful for a few years before kind of bouncing back a little bit this year in Philadelphia. Uh, Doug Fister is available. Uh, Ivan Nova is a guy that I actually kind of like um, in terms of a, a potential bargain option. And Josh Colmenter is the internal guy, as the Braves picked him up late in the year. I think he might even really be one of those two guys. Uh, the long story short, though, uh, it, would be, it would shock me if the Braves signed two free agent starting pitchers that were veterans to big multi-year contracts. They might do one with one of these guys as much as none of these guys entice me at all. I think Kashner um, would be the most interesting, in my opinion, and obviously Nova's a guy I just mentioned. Uh, Hill, if Hill was younger and had, and had less injury woes, A, he'd be a lot more expensive, and B, he'd be more intriguing, but I just can't see the Braves doing that. He's not really on their timetable uh, given his age. So, and you know, Hellickson's a guy I really just don't believe in at all, even if I think he's going to get a big, a big contract that's going to look bad for whoever signs it. Um, in the end, for me, uh, they might sign one of these guys. Uh, they might go, one, you know, one veteran long-term guy and one, you know, stopgap option in the mold of Cole Mentor in that Bud Norris mold from last year, where they know they might get a few, uh, you know, a couple, you know, and a hundred innings out of them before before trading him. Maybe last the whole season, something like that. But uh, Copy's contradicting himself. It's going to be interesting to see what the Braves do to fill the free agent, uh, not the free agent, but the the rotation spots this year. I still think that uh, that a trade for a frontline guy is more um, more likely 
than actually signing a couple of veterans here, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do because that's sort of the question everyone uh, that's plugged in is asking right now as the Braves are looking for pitching is that there really is nobody available that is uh, particularly safe, and the guys that are safe just are you know very, very low upside options that wouldn't be uh, very exciting for a lot of the fan base. Uh, speaking of that, the next question comes from Tommy Chitester on Twitter. And he asked, he asked me, what would you be willing to give up for Chris Sale or Chris Archer? Uh, Sale and Archer, uh, first of all, you know, Sale is a left-hander for the White Sox. That's tremendous, a Cy Young-level pitcher, as, uh, as is Archer for the Rays, although Archer had some terrible win-loss luck this year. He's a lights-out talent and very, very young. But both of these guys are pretty young and under control for multiple seasons. Um, there have been rumors, though, that both guys could be had for the right price, which is why they're sort of the two guys who are talked about the most in terms of trade options for Atlanta. Uh, in short, it's going to take a ton to get one of these guys. Uh, I thought it was interesting this week. Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe uh, reported that it would likely take a giant package for the Red Sox to get in on the Chris Sale bidding. Uh, he speculated that it would be Jackie Bradley Jr., who's a fine young outfielder for the for the Red Sox, a good uh, an established starter in the outfield, and an absolutely elite level prospect in the Yohan Mankata mold. Basically, you know, a top, you know, 10 or 20 prospect in all of baseball, just as a starting point, uh, to both of those guys to even get in, into the sale discussion. That basically probably would be the template for the Braves too. I think Ender Inciarte would be the the likely centerpiece of a trade, including both of those guys, at least from the other end. If I'm the Rays or the, or the White Sox, I'm definitely asking for Inciarte. If the Braves don't want to include him, they're going to have to, you know, probably send at least four or five prospects the other way. Um, if they do include Inciarte, that alone wouldn't be enough, obviously. They're going to have to probably include two more, I would imagine, two more guys, whether it be Albies or some of the young pitching prospects in order to get really into discussion. And the problem with Sale and Archer is that they're both so good that the market is going to be very, very hot for those guys where the Braves will not be bidding against themselves. They'll be bidding against other teams. And uh, the Braves do have a deep stable of uh, talented prospects. But I think it's pretty safe to assume that Braves fans will end up being upset uh, if the Braves trade for either one of those guys, which seems crazy. But I think just the volume of talent that's going to be going out the door is going to send some uh, some Braves fans into a tizzy. Uh, for me, I'd be worth it to even slightly overpay for one of those guys. If you if you really want to compete next year, you need top line front pitching, you know, front of the rotation pitching. Julio Tehran is very very nice, but in the perfect world, he's definitely a two rather than a one. I think you. I doubt he's going to be the best pitcher on a World Series team unless you have a couple more guys at his level. Uh, and I think Sale and Archer are both better than Tehran in a vacuum. So you would want a guy who's going to be at least up there next to Tehran, if not above him in the rotation, in order to really compete. And I think uh, overpaying to do that would not be the worst idea in the world. I just don't think um, that it's probably going to be more likely. I wouldn't say it's likely. I think it's possible. But... It's going to take a massive package. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me again if it was Enciarte, Albies, and a couple of uh, the top arms, whether it be Ian Anderson or uh, you know Colby Howard, some of the guys who are further away but high upside guys. And uh, Braves, Braves prospect fans would not be terribly pleased, I'm sure, if they sent, a, sent away a massive package, even if it was for one of these great pitchers. Uh, Braves options guy on Twitter, uh, always a great follow, by the way, uh, asks, uh, who do you think throws the first pitch at SunTrust Park? I think uh, Julio Tehran is a massive favorite here. 
Um, the only two guys on the market that we know are available are Sale and Archer, who I think would be uh, ahead of Tehran in the pecking order. And even then, there's a, there's at least a chance the Braves, even if they traded for one of those guys, would would allow Julio to get the start, given the fact that he's sort of the incumbent guy. Um, and also, of course, uh, it should be noted that SunTrust Park is not open on the first day of the season. It's actually um, a couple of weeks in, so it's kind of, it really could be uh, the number three or four starter. Could, could end up being Matt Whistler, for all we know. But I think the question would be, uh, at least the theory of the question would be, who's the opening day starter? And uh, I think Tehran is easily the safest bet there. I think he's uh, more than 50% chance of that, You know, probably 70 or 80%, given the fact that I think uh, Sale and Archer are pretty unattainable. And even if they are, it's going to be uh, it's going to require a pretty significant overpay. Uh, last question for today. It's going to be a pretty short podcast. I apologize for that, but again, the uh, the conditions are kind of uh, what they are here in Washington D.C. Uh, our own Scott Coleman actually uh, teased me up with this one. Shout out to Scott, a frequent podcast guest, of course. Uh, he asks me, "What is the opening day lineup for 2017?" Uh, this is going to be something that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about in the next couple of months. Um, we already have been talking about it on Twitter and other places, even on this podcast. But I figure I'll take a ch- I take a chance at this here. It's going to be very unsexy for those of you out there who want uh, big sweeping changes or the Braves to add uh, a lot, you know, a high price guy in the lineup. Um, my first pass. This is going to be Ender Inciarte in the leadoff spot. Dansby Swanson hitting second and playing shortstop. Freddie Freeman, of course, at the number three hole as a reigning, you know, top five MVP guy. Matt Kemp in the cleanup spot playing left field. Nick Markakis, yes, Nick Markakis hitting fifth, playing right. Uh, either Rio, Rio Ruiz or Adonis Garcia hitting sixth, depending on who is the opposing pitcher. I think they'll be in a platoon. Tyler Flowers uh, in, the op- in the opening day spot hitting seventh at catcher. And uh, either Jace Peterson or Ozzie Albies at second base. I will I will say Peterson um, for the purposes of this, but uh, we'll go with that in the eighth spot either way. Um, I do think one note, I think the most likely scenario that does not involve this very boring scenario would be Brian McCann. I think Brian McCann, um, as far as guys who are not currently on the roster or in the organization, is the most likely guy to be added. That doesn't mean that it's likely. I think it's still you know a pretty low chance of that happening in terms of, you know, it's very, t- very tough to pin down trades and free agent signings this far ahead but I think McCann is the most likely guy to be added so if you wanted to pencil him in you know some run that probably the, he'd probably be hitting fifth behind Kemp in this particular lineup construction uh, alongside Flowers and something of a 70-30 split something like that so 65-35 split so if you wanted to pencil in Brian McCann I won't hate you that's more intriguing but I think the most likely scenario is a pretty much a running it back of the end of the lineup uh, the end of the season lineup this year with Swanson hitting second, um, kind of being promoted to that role in his first full-time season, even though it'll still be, he'll still be a rookie technically. Uh, I think him hitting second is something that you're going to see for a very, very long time, provided that he succeeds in the way that I think he will do. And uh, aside from that, it's pretty pretty par for the course. I think third base is the most controversial, going with the platoon of Ruiz and Garcia, but there are not very many obvious options on the market. And uh, I think it's, again, you're looking at, if you ask me to project the lineup right now, I'm going to go with guys that we know are going to be around, and that's what we're going to do. Um, with that, I'm going to sign this thing off for today's podcast. We'll be back a week from now with uh, hopefully a more enticing podcast, uh, given the fact that uh, we'll probably have a guest on 
Uh, I apologize for the background noise if there was any, but I appreciate your patience with us and the logistics of this podcast. If you have not subscribed to the show already, I encourage you to do so at iTunes. That's the fastest way to get the podcast in your podcast feed uh, or your inbox or whichever way you uh, consume podcasts on your computer, etc. That's the best way and fastest way to do that. Or you were, we are also hosted on SoundCloud where you could be listening to this now or uh each and every show is on TalkingChop.com. We usually post on Monday at some point in the middle of the day. So if you want it faster, you can subscribe. But also check out the uh, podcast post on TalkingChop.com. It has a bit of a layout of what we talked about, which is always intriguing and useful. So thanks, as always, for listening, everybody. And we'll be back next week with another show.